Welcome to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast with Nicolene Peck. Improving your life, uniting your family, changing the world. Welcome to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast. I'm Nicolene Peck and I'm joined here with my daughter Paige Baumert. Hi Paige. Hello. Paige, today I am so excited about this topic. It's a good one. It actually is a really good one. I I am super excited. We've been we've been uh, kind of throwing ideas back and forth and have I've put together I think something really fun for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're talking today about power, okay? And we're talking about parental power, right? Parental power that you have over the children. So parental authority. We're going to be talking about happiness, how to help our children be more happy. Okay. And what types of things we need to teach them to be more happy. We're also going to be talking about consequences. What consequences with happiness? How do those even go together? <laughs> no, they, to- they totally, they totally do and can go together, but they don't always depending on how it's done. <laughs> right. Anyway, so we're going to talk about consequences and, and I really think this discussion on consequences is going to be something that's exciting for people. And then page zombies. What? I know it's a little what? weird. But it is a little we weird. Are I, talk- I don't like zombies. Like, oh, I, I don't either. But I don't even. I do not watch zombie movies. Those are like not in my my little repertoire of movies that I'm going to be, you know, pulling out. Repertoire. That's not even the right word. Anyway, I'm not. <laughs> I'm in my. That's not on my like go to movie list. Okay, nothing with zombies ever. Um, but yeah, we're talking about zombies today, and I I really think that this is going to be something that kind of makes people go, hmm. But before yeah. we get to all of that, we have got to talk about something fun that we can do. Paige, give us a fun family activity. So something fun that we did growing up was we made things called lap books. And we did this for a few years in a row. Um, so lap books, they're very much homemade, but it's, um, it's almost like creating a poster board of a topic but you would put it in this little book. And this book was made of manila folders that you just kind of taped or glued together in a certain way so that you would have these pages of a book um, filled out. And basically, like I said, a poster board for one topic all in one little book. Yeah, so we made we made lap books of the creation, like a fold out for each day mm-hmm. right we we made which is so fun you could make lap books for animals lap books for plants lap books for the ocean I say we did lap for volcanoes at one point too yeah but that was actually the volcanoes one that that part of the lap book was actually um in our creation that's right book. that's it was part of it you know it was part of the you know the day where the land and everything mm-hmm, created. Mm-hmm. so um so anyway, that's, that was that. And we've done creations on wars, like World War II. You mean lap books? What did I say? Creations. <laughs> they are creations. <laughs> we created them ourselves. We did. <laughs> we did. A lot of work and love went into these things. They're fun family projects, and you probably won't get a whole one done in one night. No. But you can even find, um, like we did one on the Revolutionary War. We did one on world war ii you can our revolutionary war one i know we got from homeschool in the woods i think it's homeschool in the woods.com and you could buy a template for it and had all these little different things so then you're like learning something whether you're a homeschooler or not lap books are so fun unit studies are so fun taking 
taking one thing and just studying it as a family is such a fun thing. And yeah, like and I know some of our I, most precious memories. Mm-hmm. I know I did one when we were learning Japanese as well. Mm. We made a lab book for Japanese studies and different um, fundamentals that went into the language. Yeah, and we did. I did lap books for you children when you were learning to read, especially London and Porter. Mm-hmm. So there were lap books that had different word combinations so they could memorize different things with their reading. And we did that too. So it's just fun. It's a creative outlet. Mm-hmm. And, and they're fun to go back to and look at. It's a, it's a, like you can print off all these cute little color pictures and put them in there. And you can make timelines in a lap book. You can make flip charts. You can make graphs. You can make pop-up things. You could, we even on, on our creation one, I honestly, I love our creation one. We spent so much time putting that together. <laughs> did. Um, but I mean, we would spend like, you know, weeks on one day of creation, you know, we went around our whole like county and we collected dirt samples. Remember? We took, we got dirt samples, all the different colors of dirt, you know, (laughs) this was like still in the time with the volcanoes anyway, but, oh man, we had fun and it's clouds and studying the clouds and Mm -hmm. everything. So much fun. And, and just creating that lab book actually ends up then leading to more activities and more activities. So basically every day we studied something like volcanoes, then we would put a little Thing in the lap book on the volcanoes and then when we discuss when we studied soil then we went and did soil samples right and so it's like you could put it together over a long period of time or you could be like hey we're gonna do this in one night and this it just, just depends a little on tiny lap book. yeah and what you want to get accomplished with it because we went super deep yeah and you can fold you can fold those file folders any way you want it's true. so we oftentimes were hooking together you know like four and five file folders and we were take taping them together and folding them in different ways so that they would fold out in so all they're like leaflets different... within the pages yeah. and yeah yeah so let's say your you know civil war lap book you want to have like a whole you know four page fold out on slavery or something right then you you open up to the slavery page and then there's additional fold outs with these fold file folders the way you put them together that mm-hmm. could then fold out so if you want to find more information about lap books i mean we could go on forever we could do a whole podcast on lap books <laughs> anyway then just go ahead and look up you know lap books on on youtube i'm sure you're going to be able to find stuff there okay Paige, we are going to start talking about power happiness consequences and zombies and we are going to do all that through the lens of self-government so let's talk about self-government really quickly what's self-government self-government is being able to determine the cause and effect of any given situation and possessing a knowledge of your own behaviors so that you can control them yes and self-government is not a passive thing okay it's a very active thing it's not like oh well you know, I'm just good at controlling myself and, uh, well, I'm not so, you know, too bad for me. I mean, my personality is different. It's not a personality thing. So we need to remember that it's a conscious decision that we make. It's choice that we say, I'm going to regulate myself. I'm going to learn how I work. I'm going to learn my hangups and I'm going to make plans for myself and I'm going to follow through and see how I do on keeping those plans. I'm going to give myself no answers. I'm going to give myself instructions. I'm going to correct myself when needed that's the epitome of self-government when a person does that but a child when their brain is not fully developed when that prefrontal cortex is still very small they need their parents to set up the environment where they learn all these different skills and what and that it's healthy to choose 
things that are better and, and that self-government is a possibility for themselves so that then when they're older, they'll do it for themselves too. And of course they see the parents doing that every time the parent chooses to be calm and to exercise their power and authority properly. Mm-hmm. So which goes right into what we're talking about today. Uh, so, so parental authority page, how important is parental authority? I mean, you've been studying parenting and, and marriage and relationships and all that kind of stuff in college for quite some time now. And I know you've studied a lot about parental authority, um, but also you've seen things in different homes, friends, maybe you've seen how they were raised parental authority that's looked different than how you were raised. Let's just kind of talk about the importance of parental authority really quick here. Yeah, no, I'd say it's actually very, very, very important um, because the way a parent runs their home is inevitably how a child will uh, turn out or not. So I've witnessed many homes where parents were very um, authoritative. So, uh, you know, very forceful in running their home and making sure things turned out. And so that, you know, has its pros and its cons. Um, you know, the, the family I'm thinking of, they've had some struggles with some of their, with some of their children. Um, you know, once they hit 18, they kind of go, well, I'm going to do my own thing and uh, I don't care whatever my parents said, you know, cause they were really controlling. But I've also seen the flip side where you have families, uh, where the parents are just super chill, super passive, um, more worried about being their child's friend than, um, enforcing, you know, good values that their children, again, there's like, well, you know, whatever goes, you know, and we'll just kind of do our own thing. So either way, you're hitting on something really important here. The parental authority and the way that plays out in the home can oftentimes directly correlate. Now, this isn't to say every time, because I do know some really amazing parents who have had some children sometimes kind of stray away for a bit. Right. And then everyone has... sometimes people want to feel their way you know and so so don't be thinking oh no my child has kind of like gone off the deep it must be all my fault it could be some things related to you but it also could not be remember that and so sometimes even the greatest we see this in scriptures if you if you study your bible i mean hello adam and eve okay who like walked and talked with god i mean they had a child kill another child. I mean, that's huge, right? That, that, yeah. That's like off the deep, right? So, so we, we know that even the very best teaching and even the very best parenting there, I mean, there's, there's choice that people have and they can choose right. the wrong, but I love what you're pointing out here, Paige. And that is that there oftentimes is a direct correlation between how the authority plays out in the family. Mm-hmm. And if the children want to hold to what the family have. Well, it so, depends. Cause like in the families that I just, just explained the one family, the one that's very, um, controlling, they were, you know, very good about handing out consequences or punishments because those are different, mm-hmm. um, handing out punishments. Whereas the other family, um, they were almost more like passive tend to be a little, a little more coddling, you know, they would kind of sweeten up their kids and be like, Oh, you know, I'm so sorry. You felt that way, you know, this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. And so, there was a whole lot of differences, you know, the, the consequences for the actions were similar, but very varied as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, but the thing is, is both of those situations, and I've seen this too, you know, just about, well, a billion times, I don't know. <laughs> and it may be not a billion, but it seems like it sometimes anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
the thing is, is the outcomes were similar. The outcomes were, well, I don't want to live like my parents. I don't want that kind of life. That's, that's the outcomes where if a child has a type of environment where the parental authority was maintained in a really good and positive way, but also strong way, meaning the power was kept within principle. Okay. Because mm -hmm. when the power is, is exercised outside of principle, we end up with problems. Okay. And so when we're talking about consequences here, we're talking about times when power is being exercised and, and how is that going to be done well versus how is that really not done well? Right. Right. And, and the result ultimately is the same. The children's hearts turn away from the parents instead of turning toward the parents and deciding that's what I want for my life too. And so really it comes back to principle. You've got to live yeah, principle. It's, it's really those core things. Cause like, it's, it's one thing for a child to grow up and go, you know, I really don't want to do that. Like my parents did it, but you know, I want to make sure I'm living by the same principles my parents did. Cause those are good. Like mm -hmm. that's, that's just bound to happen anyway, especially when you get married, bring other people into your family, stuff like that. You know, you're not, it's, it's well, you, you exactly have to make everything same. your own. Yeah. Right, and but and your little wise, traditions may be a little different and your yeah. little, you know, and the, the way the, your, your cooking schedule may be different because I mean, you're going to adapt it to what you yeah, need. Yeah, but like yeah. principle and morally uh, wise, you want to, you know, your hope as a parent is like, okay, I want, I want to give them a foundation that they can take into their own future lives and their own adult lives. Yeah, well, that's kind of like the the recipe for leadership. I mean, when you're a leader, when you're a good leader, which parents should be leaders. I mean, they are, right? right? Anyway, <laughs> whether what, they then, like it or not. Exactly. Then what a parent does, actually, is they are supposed to make it so that the people who come after them can pick up where they left off and they don't have to learn everything fresh themselves, mm -hmm. like completely new. That's what a good leader does. And so that would mean that your children could leave your home and go, okay, I know everything that happened there and I know how to apply it. And I think I might even add something to it, you know? Okay, great. Um, but they actually want the same good things. Like, like she was talking about the principles. Okay. So right. now here's the thing when we have a child. So when a child is, is young, okay. When they are still a minor, um, then we oftentimes focus on synthetic consequences, okay? So there are differences between synthetic consequences and natural consequences. Mm -hmm. Natural consequences are things like, you know, I told a lie, so now nobody trusts me. Or, or, now my or I didn't don't do the dishes and now the kitchen stinks. Yeah, exactly. So these are very common, just natural consequences. But when children are little, um, they don't understand those natural consequences and they yeah. don't always see them they, they move on minute to minute very quickly. And so synthetic consequences are really the best at teaching cause and effect before mm -hmm. someone, before their prefrontal cortex is, is getting developed just so that, I mean, you want to bring up the natural too, you can bring up, but, but generally speaking, it doesn't, they're like, so, you know, like, so what it smells like, I didn't notice it, you know, I mean, it just doesn't really <laughs> like, yeah, them, that's nasty, you know? but I didn't do that. Yeah. Like, I don't really care. You may care, but I don't care. And then all of a sudden it goes back to preferences and things and they miss the principle. They miss the principle. And the principle you want to hit is cause and effect. Right. That's the principle. And so sometimes we have to hit that principle with synthetic first. So, so consequences are actually a big part of learning self-government. Cause remember 
self-government is being able to determine the cause and effect. And that's really what a consequence is, is the cause and effect or the effect. Yeah, it is. And, and it also helps you analyze yourself. Wait a Mm -hmm. minute. Okay. I'm sensing an effect here that I didn't plan on. What did I do? We go back, we take a look at it. And sometimes the child can get back that far. And sometimes they can't honestly, depending on how well they were paying attention to their own lives. But if the teaching is done well by the parents, the child should be able to get back to whatever happened. And and I think that's, that's where parents get confused as well, because I feel like a lot of parents see consequences and punishments as the same thing. I think they see actually consequences or, you know, punishments as the teaching. That isn't the teaching. Right. No, that's literally just the effect. Like this is what will happen to you. Yeah. The teaching is the moment where you discuss it. The Mm -hmm. teaching is the moment where you say, this is what you did. It wasn't a good idea because of this. Do you see that? Okay. This is what you should have done. And then you say, this is what you've earned. So they get that opportunity for character development. Mm -hmm. So we do work in our family. Um, for negative consequences because Samuel Smiles, who was an author, great philosopher um, back in the 1800s. And he said, work is the antidote for a sick character. And, Mm -hmm. And I read that years and years ago. And I thought that is so true. And quite frankly, it's also non, um, it's not really personal. It's not like, I'm going to take your toy. I'm going to take your bed. I'm going to take your socks. I'm going to take your phone. It's not like all that kind of stuff. Now you may sometimes have to have a consequence set up ahead of time that says right. and if you don't do this you won't get to drive the car like if you but don't you've taught work. it and ahead of time and so mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest thing is when you teach it then like when you take the opportunity to teach then it becomes you know learning cause and effect but if you just say oh you did this so because You're of that yeah. So that becomes a punishment. That's a, so when you don't teach it ahead of time or don't take the time to teach the principles, then it does become a punishment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and that's the difference really punishments have this more like emotional kind of vindictive quality mm-hmm. to them, you know, um, and where it's something you... that happens to someone else instead of mm-hmm. someone taking responsibility for their own actions. Like I am going to put you in this place until I am ready to deal with you. You know, right. you got to sit there for 45 minutes, no matter what, or you got to mm-hmm. sit there for 20 minutes or whatever it is. And it's where parents you know, take it personally. It is. It is. It's the parent actually having a problem most of the time. And so when the parent is taking something personally, usually the teaching is not going to hit the heart. And when a person is learning self-government, it is about a change of heart that right. occurs. It's about a gradual process of training a heart in the right direction so that they want to do good. They want to give themselves no answers. They want to instruct themselves, make goals, follow through all of those things that go along with a person having a soft condition of heart. But if the child is just always whining and expecting you to do whatever and blaming you for everything, then chances are the teaching is coming through as punishments and it is not hitting the heart. And then you have, well, then it really isn't the proper kind of teaching. Yeah. So Paige, we've got some really fun new insights. I know you've got an article you want to share with us today or some ideas out of an article. And I've got some ideas that I want to share too. So we're (laughs) going to collaborate. And these ideas come from honestly, one of my education heroes. So I love studying education and I've studied, you know, many people hear me talk about, you know, Oliver DeMille and some of his writings, but also Charlotte Mason. Um, She was really great. 
And um, she, and she, she her writing wrote, is from old time, right? So it's like a little older oh, English. So super oh, yeah. based. Old, old time stuff here, way back, way back, way back, way back before everything morally started crumbling in society. <laughs> and so she could still appeal to people's like moral sense, right? Good Christian woman. She wrote a series of books and they, the series of books was, uh, it's called the home education series. And it was six books that she wrote. So I'm going to be taking some information today out of her book. It's book number five, and it's called The Formation of Character. Okay. And, and, and really, that's what we're talking about. Didn't I say work is the antidote for a sick character, right? Well, and that actually comes from Samuel Smiles' book titled Character. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So um, it really, the consequences are things and, and being able to do put forth some effort in order to learn some cause and effect and to examine yourself. This is all good for character development. So anyway, she has some, some, some kind of shocking, um, some kind <laughs> of shocking la- language. Okay. And I'm just, I mean, it's shocking. Like if parents read this today, like somebody would probably be like, Oh my word, watch that parent call child services, you know, <laughs> I, and she's not, but you have to understand where she's coming from. And, and right. so this is, I'm going to, I'm going to say it's shocking talking language and um and like I'm gonna profane, say but just the no. thing that she says is like wait what yeah what yeah we almost put this in the title and then figured no one would understand <laughs> so we put the word zombies instead in the title <laughs> to this podcast anyway okay so so she uses two terms the term is put to death okay um So she's saying, you know, children are put to death. Okay. See, that is like really like what? (laughs) Whoa, execution. Whoa. What are you? If you keep reading, it makes sense. It does make sense. Okay. And then she also uses the term killing the child. Now she (laughs) but she's saying, she's saying, don't put the child to death and don't kill the child. So let's be very clear about that. Yeah. Well, she's not talking physically, she's talking emotionally, mentally, morally, morally, yeah, morally, principally. She's saying, listen, there's a lot of child death going on here that people are not recognizing. And she shares some just like stories that are kind of heart-wrenching, you know. Mm -hmm. And and and, and also seem like they're simple. Yeah. Like nowadays you'd be like, okay. Yeah. So like she shares a story of this little boy and he's uh, like four. Okay. He's, he's building um, a house of cards, card houses. Okay. With his dad's books in his dad's study. Okay. Now keeping in mind, this boy loves playing with his daddy. Okay. It's like his favorite thing to play with daddy. Okay, she says. So he's in his study. He's building a house of cards with daddy's books. And and as daddy walks in, the house of cards comes tumbling down, which is the house of books, right? Comes tumbling down. And and some of daddy's favorite volumes of whatever, his books, all of a sudden are getting bent corners and stuff like that. And so all of a sudden, daddy says to his child, what are you doing here? Go to the nursery and don't let me see you in here again. Okay, now she says that this basically is killing the child, putting the child to death is what she says. And she says, because the way that a child processes this is so huge Mm -hmm. because the child is thinking, "Um, what did I do? 
you know I've played house of cards with daddy in the nursery before yeah they don't understand like books that you know cords are being bent and that that is harmful for books and then you know it costs a lot of money to buy the books and blah 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 but but also it's like I just got daddy just got mad at me mm-hmm. right I'm because they old. value that relationship it's very very hurtful yeah so then the child doesn't know whether to trust daddy or not or do I try to do I try to like do something manipulative to win daddy over. I mean, they wouldn't think manipulative, but like, right. what, can, what can I do to win daddy over and to make him like, I'm sorry, daddy, I'm sorry, daddy. I didn't mean to. And then comes the crying and the fear and the worry. And I don't want to be cast out of my daddy's presence, mm-hmm. right? And even if the child doesn't get to that mournful state in front of daddy or in front of anybody else, the, what's going on on the inside? This is what Charlotte Mason is saying is we have got to concern ourselves with what's going on on the inside, because yeah. on the inside, the child could be dying on the inside as, as because here's the deal. Here's the deal. And, and I'm just going to say it not like her. It's not going to be as eloquent. Okay. Because you know, she's really <laughs> eloquent in the way that she she speaks. she's so, she's so refined. She's amazing, but very pointed. But, <laughs> yeah. But very pointed, which I do love actually that that's where she and I just align. I love that. I mean, I align with her on so many things, but she just says it straight out. And I love that. Um, but talking about this killing of the child and the death of the child, basically she's saying, listen, if the child is not bonded to you, if the child does, if you, if you unload on the child, okay. Or, or even if you're incredibly permissive to the child, which happens, you actually could be killing the child. And if that happens, the child is not going to be not going to be connected to you. And if they're not connected to you, then what are they going to connect to? And then the moral upbringing and all of those things that are, that need to be in place for that child, are they even going to happen properly? So then we really have the death of the child. So now this child is being turned over to who knows what, right? And she even says in her book, she says, she says, you know, the parents are the ones that really are held responsible for turning their child over to other people. She says, be very careful indeed in our choice of the persons in whose charge we place our children. Now, here's the thing. If you push the child away from you, if the child reads scary things into your relationship, if they don't trust you, if they don't want to tell you things because they're away, they're afraid you're going to kill them. You know, this is modern talk here, but actually think of it they're You're going to kill them. Right. It, that's actually what she's saying. She's saying, don't kill the child because, because if they're, if they say, Oh, I can't tell my mom that she would kill me. Yeah. Yeah. She'll well, yell at really you doing is she's inviting the parents to look at what they're doing from the child's perspective. Cause a lot mm. of parents, especially nowadays, they see things only from their own perspective. Oh, their behavior is bothering me or, Oh, that's so bad. You know, making me look like a bad parent. Mm -hmm. or whatever but they don't take the time to look outside of themselves and see okay if I were to scold my child this way how would it affect them in these areas of life well too much thinking and who would I be turning them over to right so see this is another thing is like if you push your child away from you who are you turning them over to now how does this relate to consequences yelling at a child is a consequence Mm -hmm. letting a child do whatever they want and not correcting it is a consequence. 
It's true. Doing these that. are all, these are all consequences that you are enforcing in the life of the child. And both of them can kill the child. Both of yeah. them can make the child so that they go down immoral paths, that they follow people that they should not be following. So, so this brings me to the walking dead page. Let's talk about the walking dead. Let's talk about zombies. You know, Paige, we were talking about this and Paige is like, mom, uh, there is an article literally comparing children to the walking dead right now. Mm -hmm. And there's a book about it and I'm going to read the book. And um, yeah, no, I'm actually really interested um, to see what the author has to say. So it was actually an article in the New York post that came up um, just on like my Google recommendations. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. And so I opened it up and the article is, um, it's written by this man named Jeremy Adams. Well, I mean, it's talking about him. Um, he's he's a, teacher. a teacher. He's a mm-hmm. school teacher, high school teacher. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, basically his thing is, well, his book is called Hollowed Out, A Warning About America's Next Generation. Um, and he says, we need to brace ourselves for what lies ahead. I write this book as an alarm bell, a project born of worry, concern, and frustration. Um, and so basically it's saying that you know, this teacher, Jeremy Adams, he's worried that, and this is what the article says, uh, frets that today's youngsters are, quote, barren of the behavior, values, and hopes from which human beings have traditionally found higher meaning or even simple commitment, close quote. So, yeah. And I'm like, that's barren. That's a really big term. I mean, his book's called hollowed out, but like barren. Mm -hmm. I love that. That means it's like a wasteland, right? It's like, it's like a desert. It's like, there's nothing there. There's no moisture. There's no nourishment. They are not being nourished if they are barren, just like barren soil would be a soil that is not gotten its proper nourishment and it needs to be amended. That's yeah. the term we use for soil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's something that he shares. And another thing he says is he blames the disillusion of the American family for this shift in people, you know, with marriage mm-hmm. rates down and the number of traditional two parent homes plummeting. And so mm-hmm. he lists some statistics and um, different things that, uh, you know, he brings up all those studies have shown that regular family dinners leads to, you know, less problems that we see in today's youth. Most of his students that he teaches say that they eat dinner alone and they're not focused on the family, but they have a device in their hand. Mm. And Mm. so he says the neglect of family life is one of the greatest causes of the hollowing out, not only of students, but of American life. It is the whole, the whole culture. And it's not just American life. It's just, principled life in general yeah but the thing is the way we raise our children forms our culture that's it it's true. okay the way we raise our children forms our culture and so the whole culture is falling apart because we're not forming the children properly as a whole as a whole society right there's some people that are doing a great job and then there's other people that are really struggling bad but then like there's kind of like this whole group in the middle where it's just kind of like whatever happens this willy-nilly you know and and here we have children saying well I I just look at my device when I eat food and I eat by myself and Mm -hmm. and that right there says that there's not connection 
And that actually says the parent has turned the child over to the device yeah, and no, over to themselves. No. And something else that he says in here is that modern students constantly text during classes or watch streaming services during Zoom meetings, living in a state that psychiatrists call continuous partial attention. Uh, wow. And this is technically talking about, you know, Gen Z, um, mm -hmm. but it says studies show that the average Gen Z student uses five electronic devices and has an eight second attention span, which results in lower grades, diminished ability to concentrate and stunted academic achievement. Eight second is so small. Yeah, no, and he says, he, he's like, I predict that today's young people will be unprepared for the future. Yeah. Well, and you know, and this is, so this is a really bold book to read. And, and again, I have not read it. We just read the article and we're right. Like, no, I'm Whoa. super excited to read the book though. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to see what he says. Yeah. I want to see what kinds of, cause he's seeing stuff from a different perspective as a teacher there in the classroom yeah. with children coming in and he's like, there is stuff that is not okay. Right. Well, and what so he's, what he's other... really hinting at is these children or these, you know, these students, these teenagers, these young adults all they want is to be acted upon, to be entertained. If you have an eight second attention span, that means you have to have something to pull you in or you're not going to do it. They're always going to say no to anything worthwhile right. because it's not going to be entertaining enough. No, this is really interesting. So he, and he compares them to zombies. Mm -hmm. He compares them to zombies. He compares them to the walking dead because they're a shell of a person because they're, they're hollowed barren. out. And, and so we couldn't, so, so the reason why we started thinking about this is because, you know, we're talking about Charlotte Mason here <laughs> and she's like killing the kid, putting the kid to death and children even saying, my mom, will kill me. My mm -hmm. dad will kill me. So they're hiding from their parents. Okay. Because that means the parents are overacting. And so if mom and dad will kill me, that means they already did kill them if they're worried about that. And right. so that doesn't that mean our children are zombies and they're the walking, walking dead, dead. If, yeah. if that's what they're worried about. So very interesting when we put the children to death. I mean, so really, I guess Charlotte Mason wasn't as shocking as we thought because we got this new guy saying, hey, they're kind of like zombies and they're yeah. like barren and they are hollowed out. No, I think and what's kind of shocking though things. is that Charlotte Mason, she was realizing these tendencies with- So long ago. Yeah, but with behaviors that are way less extreme than what we're seeing now. Yes. I mean, we're talking whining. Yeah. And, and, and somebody boxing somebody's ears because they're whining. Yeah. Like in her, somebody, in her era, she, you know, she was nipping it in the bud, but we're at the point where this problem is in full bloom and it is very toxic and very, yeah. it's, it's like morning glory. It gets in everything. <laughs> well, I know she's like, she's like, you know, I mean this, she shares the story of this person, one of her contemporaries who says, yeah, one time I, I didn't bring my uh, a book when someone asked me to get a certain book and I didn't bring it. I brought and the wrong one. Yeah. I, br I brought the wrong one and I get yelled at. She's a right? child. You know? I know. And so Charlotte Mason saying, okay, we got to nip that and not kill our children. I'm thinking what in the world? I mean, and we, ki we kill our children left and right nowadays. And we say mm -hmm. the most horrible things we call them names. I mean, we, not me. Okay. I'm just saying we in the general <laughs> sense, but I've Society seen it as a general whole. I have seen parents. I'm like, call their children horrible names and and i think they're or not cherishing them, them. if you don't cherish the child which that's a charlotte mason thing cherish mm -hmm. the child if you don't cherish the child you're killing the child but that's also the child doesn't than, get you. you you can't coddle the child 
Oh yes. If you cherish them, you are willing to correct them because you love them and Mm -hmm. you want them to learn from their mistakes and learn from the experiences that they have, because that's what children do. They are here to learn. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're all here Absolutely. on this earth to learn our whole lives, but especially as children, that's all that we're doing with everything that we experience. And so if we really choose to cherish our children, when we take the time to say, oh, you know, that was wrong. Let me tell you why. And um, this is what we need to do in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is, this is a thing she even brings up. So as she's saying, cherish the children, she's also saying, listen, just so you know, the parents that are angry and beat their children actually historically turn out better children than the ones who baby them, coddle them, mm-hmm. don't make them accept, you know, consequences. Cause she did say consequences are a good thing. Right. They need, well, and, and and now we know co- not all consequences are created equal, right? right? So, right. so good principled consequences, good principled teaching of the children. These are a good thing. Mm-hmm. And she's saying, if you don't do them, if you just blow up instead, or if you do nothing and let the child just get away with it instead, you actually are killing the child. So both ways, yeah, emotionally you're killing the child. And here's, here's a, little, a little bit of additional insight to this. So she says in here, um, she says, you know, culture and, and good people are made from a lot of self-knowledge that comes from studying guiding principles. Mm-hmm. So when you study guiding principles, you get self-knowledge, which means you can compare yourself to the principles that you know to be true. And this is what we're trying to do here, quite frankly, on this podcast, right? (laughs) And in everything that we do is we're trying to give principles and compare your behavior to the principles and see what adjustments you can make so that you can become better at self-government, okay? So anyway, um, so she says that's how a person, you know, that type of self-knowledge is good. She says, but there's also morbid here we go back to death again, morbid self-knowledge that comes from introspection. Mm. Now think of our society today. So if the parents are not doing their job, they leave the child alone to themselves. Okay. This is killing the child that she has declared. Okay. You leave the child alone to basically parent themselves and to decide everything for themselves. Then they have this time where they just sit and think on the inside about how nobody cares about them, how nobody's giving so them over attention. Who, yeah, so it's morbid introspection. And if you beat a child up with your words or with your mannerisms or whatever, again, they go into this self-shaming that is really dangerous, which is also morbid introspection, which is this, um, they're getting a self-knowledge that is skewed. It's not correct because mm-hmm. it comes from death. It comes from them being dead to their parents in in that minute or that right. time even though in if other minutes it's not always the same you know relationship wise yeah yeah it's amazing to think i mean honestly i'm just grateful for her boldness in just saying it like it is summing it up and for this other teacher for saying listen this is where we're really at yeah and he teaches and, in california which i'm like whoa that's crazy you know because yeah. California is where we see a lot of stuff like that too. There's teachers and there's teachers in a lot of places right now who are 
doing some some awful things. I, I'm I'm just gonna say that I know recently there was a teacher filmed in the state of Utah saying, Your parents know nothing. I'm gonna tell you everything and you need mm. to not listen to your parents and this kind of stuff. I mean, I don't know the exact words, but yeah, you know, it was but something, something I mean, to that extent. Yeah, so basically that was the message that was given here. It's like first day or two of school, a, a student decides to record it. And um and what the, the teacher was killing the parents child relationship or trying to yeah. trying to kill it. I'm like, is everyone killing the parent child relationship? There's another teacher that came out with this big written thing. He was a, a teacher in also state of Utah. And he said, he wrote this big thing. He's like, I can't teach this curriculum because this curriculum actually says that parents are obstacles or roadblocks in a child's life which is so wrong. And he's like, I won't do it. It is morally wrong. I will not teach this because I cannot do that to families and to children. He's like, I mm-hmm. won't do that to the children. Well, because so if the children have saying, no family to rely on and to learn from, then they are really relying on society, which is mm-hmm. scary. That's very yeah. scary. So, so they're saying, they're saying, um, they're saying, you know, we are not we are not going to one, one teacher, apparently same state. I find this interesting. Same state, state of Utah. One teacher going, you don't need to listen to your parents, blah, 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 blah. Same state. Another teacher going, I'm supposed to give this information about parents being a roadblock and an obstacle. I will not. And I find this very interesting because maybe it was the same age group. I don't know. I haven't looked that bit up, but maybe it was the same age group, the same lesson material. And one teacher was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be their savior. I'm going to teach them discernment and all the stuff, right? What, that's really a parent's job. And then, um, and then the other teacher going, that's so morally wrong. I will never do that to children because it's going to kill them. Mm-hmm. It's going to kill them because they won't have their parents then in their life, right? Yeah. And I'm like, whoa. And then I mean, parents wonder why their children don't listen to them and don't value what they teach them. Yeah. And quite frankly, I think people look at Utah and they think, oh my word, like Utah, one of the most conservative states in the, in the United <laughs> States or whatever. Like, I mean, everything is just, da, da, da. well, guess what? Look what's happening even, even there. So, so you better believe it's happening everywhere, everywhere. Okay. So let's, we're going to, what we're going to do. And because this is, this is what Charlotte Mason did. And I really appreciate that. She says, let's look at consequences. Let's look at these behaviors that we've been talking about here from the view of the parent and from the view of the child. Okay. Which is so important. Yeah. So she basically has two different terms. She says, she says, you know, when, um, when a parent thinks, Oh, my children are in my power. Nobody can tell me what to do and anything I do is, you know, and, and you know what, so what if it hurts them, but they are in my power, they are in my control. My word is law. Well, and I, I have the job to get them to where they need to go. So I'm going to make it happen. And they take this forceful approach, which turns into anger. She calls this the arbitrary exercise of authority. Mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah. I actually thought it was very similar to that, you know, the controlling family that I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast. Yeah. It's just, it's just arbitrary. There's no, there's no real foundation behind it. I mean, per se, except, I mean, there's birth order, obviously. And there's like, you know, the parent birth, the child, but, but it's not, it's not principled. That's a problem. Right. So then it's arbitrary. And then she's, then she goes on to say, okay, well then there's the parent who they really want to, they really want to make their child happy. Okay. And, and we're going to be talking about happiness. And so in an effort to make the child happy, they dote on the child, they give the child every happiness possible. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, and then what they do is they practice permissiveness, right? Yeah. And, and so what happens is she says, this is a ruinous exercise of authority because because the authority is ruined well it's true and like you told me a story of this this woman that you know who uh she was at a conference and she said you know i tried everything i could possibly think of to get my mom to tell me no and she didn't and so i ended up ruining my life trying Mm -hmm. to just trying to get her to care about me yeah you know like she let me do whatever i wanted which yeah sounds great but I had no structure, no one to give me direction. Yeah, that is so true. And, and it's just, I mean, usually a person doesn't vocalize that, right? right. And sometimes they don't just, even recognize that. You know, she did. She deliberately, like she was a smart person and she deliberately ruined her life to get her mother's attention because the mother was so permissive. Mm-hmm. So Charlotte Mason has a great term for this and she calls this a concussion. Okay. So when a person is either, there was this ruinous exercise of authority and there's permissiveness and the child is not corrected and taught well, or if the parent does this anger, this arbitrary exercise of authority, then it can lead to concussions. The child has a concussion, moral concussions, a moral concussion. Yeah. Well, because if you think about like related to a sports concussion, you're like, okay, there's things that happen there, you know, like you don't think things through clearly, or you, you know, you're not functioning properly. It's the same thing morally. You're not able to take in all of the information that you need to to fully process. Mm -hmm. And that's because you're not getting given all of the information in this case with these parents. Right. So we have, we have the parents who are actually initiating concussions or slowing down of being able to process with their children because they are not doing the teaching and the consequences in a way that are going to help the children. So let's, so we got to talk about, we got to talk about consequences um, and the importance of these consequences, but what we need to realize before we start thinking in terms of what the right consequences are is where this is all coming from. Okay. Like what are, what are the children even processing? Processing. So um, again, back to Charlotte. So Charlotte Mason says that that people have these natural desires and Mm -hmm. she lists, especially children. Yeah, especially, well, I mean, it's everyone, but it is children very pronounced. Okay. But, but keep them like for yourself, you may say every human has this natural desire, but do you remember that your child's a human, (laughs) you know, like it's important. It's important for us to remember that. Right. And so as we're remembering that our child is a human because they, they, we're born, then, um, (laughs) then let's, let's remember some of their natural desires that they're going to have. Number one natural desire is they have a desire for companion companionship. Okay. And guess who they pick first? Dun, 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 mommy and daddy. That's who they pick. They, so, so, so all of these things, we're going to share five different desires that they have. All these things can go for the good or the bad, right? So companionship, good. They want to be with mommy, which, and daddy, which means mommy and daddy can teach them. They can Mm -hmm. learn from mommy and daddy, but also um, this can go bad because they can also be seeking attention from the wrong people and from the wrong things, especially if their bucket isn't getting filled on companionship. Mom and dad are not with giving them that companionship. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. So, so this can go wrong and it can seem annoying to mom and dad, mm-hmm, which makes so as them we're want processing to this, less. 
Yeah, as we're processing this from both sides, let's look at that. Yeah, so they could be like, oh, that child always wants something. Yeah, they yeah. want you. They want you. <laughs> That's what they want. And they might want some of these other things too. Okay, so Paige, um, what's another one? What's another natural desire that people have? So another natural desire is curiosity. You know, people usually just want to know. And I know for me, I was one of those children. I was always like, why, mom? Why this? Why that? You know, why does this happen? Oh, um, yes, you were. <laughs> I was the why child. <laughs> you, were, you, you all did it, but you you were very, uh, it was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, but like people, especially part of the learning process, it's just being curious, you know, wondering what things are. And, uh, you know, babies growing up, they're always putting things in their mouth because they're curious about it. And, you know, that's, that's their biggest sensory, you know, organ mm-hmm. at the time is the tongue. So they want to touch it. They're curious about it. Um, and that curiosity blossoms in different ways as you get older. Um, and now when, as I'm married, I look at my husband and he is a very curious person um, and he's very creative and that creativity drives his curiosity. And so um, it's, it's really awesome to see how he fosters that um, mm-hmm. in a very structured way, but everyone is curious, you know? Yeah. It's in their own way. Right. But this is good because curiosity or wanting to know can lead us to more truth, more principle, more right. understanding. And so this is a really good thing. Now, obviously some people bend their curiosities a certain direction and they don't right. lead to truth. Right. But also curiosity can just lead us down any rabbit hole ever that leads to nowhere. Right. And we have to be careful about that. Like, cause if our children get curious about video games, let's just say that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Say they get curious about video games and, and we're like, but they, they're good at it and they want to do it and they want to know and they want to get to the next level. And it's like, uh, it's like, well, but the I'm thing is that. though, is that is a nowhere that road leads to nowhere, nowhere. You mean, um, progression, like whether are they learning becoming something? anything better, a better version. Right. So no transformation. It could even be deformation over time, mm-hmm. you know? And Very so we crippling. have to be careful. Yeah. We can be care. We have to be careful about that. And, and that could be anything. I could be like, I want to study electricity or I want to study cows. I could pick anything I want to study, but here's the deal. If it does not lead to any betterment for myself or my situation or my family or anything else, then it is a rabbit hole mm-hmm. that could in the end be detrimental. Yeah. But, but this is just one of those natural things and people, yeah. people, you know, I mean, some people like you like to crochet and learn how to make different things with crochet. And, you know, and I, I like to, you know, make different crafty things and sew things and whatever, and yeah, can we things like and to grow things. things and do podcasts, <laughs> but, but, and, and there's a point where you can say, I'm doing this for my own, just delight and enrichment. But right. then there's a point where if it doesn't lead to something good, you actually could start to ruin yourself. Mm-hmm. Because then you create selfishness and you don't end up doing anything productive or useful, right? Right. So there's that too. Okay, so the third natural desire that people have, let's do number three. The third is they want to have good standing with their peers and their family and they want people to think well of them. Which is very natural. This is why this is why people, they do kind things for each other. I mean, well, they love them too, but they also, you know, and, and this is why people focus on their manners and their their etiquette and their grooming and everything. Or their but this is this is also why people fake 
being a certain Put way on a when, facade, they're, yeah. when they're really not. Yeah. They lie. They act like the business person, but in the, in the, in reality, they're a fraud, right. Mm-hmm. Or whatever. Um, because if they look the part, then people assume they are, but now here's the thing. This has gone way too far. So that people now are just saying everyone has good standing no matter what. And so n- then there's no discernment. That's like giving everyone a participation award. Yeah. So does everyone have value and can everyone do great and improve and have potential? And yeah, absolutely. Okay. What about number four page? So number four is we have natural desires to be the best at something. And, you know, obviously that makes sense. Like you look at different players on a soccer team, you know, you have, Oh, I'm really good at defense or I'm super good at offense. Um, or, you know, people who play games like, Oh, you know, I'm the best at this game. You know, I'm going to win every time or um, I'm the best musician, you know, or something like that. But we all have a desire to be at least better than someone else at something. Well, just to know that we have some excellence and some skills, right? Yeah. So little children are like, look what I did. I tied my <laughs> shoe. Now we already know everybody else can tie the shoe already better than them. Yes. But they feel like right then in that minute, they are the best one at tying that shoe and they have done <laughs> it. They did something the best they could, mm-hmm. you know, and we've got to remember that. Remember that with all people. That's why you should praise people. You know, let them know that you notice the good things that they do. That's important, right? And and that if someone always feels like it's just loss after loss after loss, sometimes they get a little down about that, right? It's just a natural thing that can occur. So, okay, so this brings us to number five. So number five is ambition, okay? Or a desire for power. A desire for power. Now, um, this is an interesting thing because this can very easily be going two different ways. So you can see where it can go wrong pretty easily, right? Right. Like, especially with the parent. The parent has a, a you know, may, maybe they have that very arbitrary exercise of authority going on. Mm-hmm. So their their desire for power is going to just come out of the sheer power of the whole thing i am bigger or of whatever. Their authority yeah yeah their authority they're you know as it is and so then they're going to start to lash out or whatever now a child you know we all know the strong-willed ones right <laughs> okay so the strong-willed children they're like wait a minute you're just exercising power over me there's no principle in there there's no truth in there or at least they don't see it right, right. because it hasn't been brought to their attention the teaching has not occurred properly which is an important part of a good correction and i'm just going to throw in here the teaching self-government parenting course and the books and stuff, they all go back to how to do a good correction. It's mm-hmm. a seven-step process. That's This isn't the podcast for that. But we have a place where you can learn all of that and be trained on how to do that so that you aren't getting thrown into these traps, okay? Yeah. But, so, <clears throat> yeah go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, but um, but the ambition or desire for power can be a good thing. So there's this mother, let's say, uh, who, like me or like, you know, some of these other, like Paige, you're a new mom and you're like getting it all ready and thinking it all through. And what am I doing with immunizations? What am I doing with the nursery? What am I mm-hmm. going to do for safety? What am I going to do for feeding the baby? What am I going to do? But for- then I have right. to like, think about that and bring it up with my husband who may have a different point of view. Well, yeah, of course. And so but- we, we kind of have to figure that out. 
but yeah. Well, yeah, but but you're being very deliberate, right? right? So when you're ambitious, when you want the very best for the child, and when you want to make sure that you are doing your job, your role, your authority, um, the very best, not just to have it, but to like do it the very best, then you're very driven, right? So this leads to ambition, which leads to you having more power of influence over the child and, mm -hmm. and the home culture and stuff like that. And so this comes to a very good thing, right? So if a parent is not willing to, to be deliberate and to say, this is my plan, this is what we're doing, we're going to follow through, here's why, here's the principle. If a parent doesn't do that, then the only thing they can do is try to power struggle later. Yeah, or do nothing and just yeah. give up entirely. Yeah, so the, the motivated parent absolutely does this. I want to read a quote that goes along with this, okay? This goes along yeah. with our... I say it talks about um, all these five different desires, right? No, it doesn't talk about the, the five desires, but it, it relates to them. Okay. Okay, it says these desires, meaning because she had already just discussed them. Mm -hmm. She said these desires being primary or natural, meaning everybody's got them. Um, the absence of any one of them in a human being makes that person so far unnatural okay so she's doing some defining there saying that every person has this and if they don't have them if they don't have ambition to better themselves if they don't want to be good at anything if they don't want to connect with people if they don't want to know stuff if they don't want they don't care how people think about them and and have good standing any one of those things actually makes a person unnatural <laughs> i mean this is like i'm like whoa go charlotte anyway she says the man who hates society is a misanthrope he who has no security is a clod okay but seeing that a man may make shipwreck of his character and his destiny by the excessive indulgence of any one of these desires mm -hmm. The regulating, balancing, and due ordering of these springs of action is an important part of that wise self-government, which is the duty of every man. Now, you know I read that because it says the word self-government. Of I, course. <laughs> but I read it for other things, too, because, because she's okay, saying... She's, she, I would say she's saying if you don't have even one of those desires then or those natural things then you are unnatural but if you choose to emphasize and cultivate one above all others then you have tipped the balance and you are no longer able to self-govern yeah now you won't even be able to balance yourself or order yourself or regulate yourself which is all words that describe self-government mm -hmm. right and because and and balancing ordering regulating she says these this self-government these self-government actions are the duty of every man that means human okay and mm -hmm. every man okay so so she uses this term here springs of action let's talk about springs of action she defines them a little bit further Mm -hmm. So she says that the springs of action are here, here are four springs of action and maybe there are others, but I think they all fall into one category. The, the category is impulses. Okay. Yeah. When you have an impulse, that's your spring of action. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and so they are desires, affections, appetites, and emotions. Mm -hmm. And those can all be put into impulses or knee-jerk reactions. Mm -hmm. These all push you to do something. They are springs of action. And so you have to be careful. She says, and I love this. She says 
that reason and conscience are the appointed regulators of impulses, Mm. reason and conscience, which means your heart and your mind working together, your conscience or your, your will, your heart, your spirit, knowing what is right, good and true. And then rationalizing and reasoning things out in your brain so that when you feel an emotion coming on, you say to yourself, wait a wait a minute, we, that one's not happening because that would be totally not productive. That you would hurt my relationships. It. That would go against my natural desire for companionship mm-hmm. with these people. I'm not going to do that. So I am going to now tell myself no on that particular craving or you know that appetite or that emotion that I wanted to do. I I find this very insightful. So of course I do, because it's my favorite topic in the world. Okay. Of course I do. But But the fact um, that she goes in depth and analyzes exactly what goes on. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people nowadays don't even think about that. And it's, so your desires, especially your emotions, the whole world is so heavily into, you know, appreciating and valuing emotions Mm-hmm. where really emotions are just impulses. They're the effect of something happening to you. They're effect of a feeling and a thought together. Right. Yeah. And so if you're able to regulate those through, what were the steps she said? The two things? Uh, be- between reason and conscience. Yeah. You use, those are the ones you're supposed to use. Reason yes, and so logic or like reason. And then what you know to be true, that little conscience, mm-hmm. then a lot of problems would go away. Keeping in mind what you naturally desire, right? Well, everyone desires these things. So there, so, and I desire these things. And so by logically, would I produce an emotion that would hurt one of these five things I desire? Would that make logical sense? Yeah. No. I mean, blow me over Charlotte Mason. <laughs> I love it. So I think we need to look ourselves in the face. Okay. And that's what she says. Yeah, exactly. She says, look, let's look ourselves in the face here. Okay. And let's not start blaming all of our misbehavior on accidents. Okay. (laughs) And saying, well, I accidentally did that or, or, well, you know, I can't, that's just my personality. I'm, I'm, I'm high strung. I get stressed. I no, 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 that's not taking responsibility for your own actions. Those are excuses. And not using reason and conscience. Those are excuses. And so then those consequences end up hurting other people. Along when with like, yourself. Yeah. When like Paige said, there is a way where you can say, hey, this is what happened. And you could do it with so much love, so much understanding, but mm-hmm. firmness all at the same time. This is what happened. This is why it wasn't a good idea. This is what shouldn't ha- should have happened. Do you understand why? Okay. So now let's practice doing it the right way. Let's fix it. Let's mm-hmm. fix it. And let's practice let's even get some more practice time in so that you can fall in line with truth and goodness, which then leads to happiness. Okay. So she, she actually, oh my word, she has the best quote. And and I think this is a good place for us to get to here with this whole discussion. Mm -hmm. She says, um, she says, it used to be that we would say to ourselves, If he's good, he will be happy. But now we say, if he's happy, he will be good. Goodness and happiness are regarded as convertible terms, she says. 
only we like best to put happy as the cause and good as the consequent. Mm. And, and I think it's very interesting. She says, and the child brought up on these lines is both happy and good without much moral effort or self-compelling on his own part. While our care is to surround him with happy making circumstances until he has got into the trick, as it were, of being good. Yeah, it's interesting though, because that's not true. And even in the article about um, Gen, you know, Gen Z and zombies, he says, even though they're you know, supplied with these devices and all of these things, they actually struggle to be content mm-hmm. or to be happy. Yeah. So, so it is true that if you have a happy family and your family has goodness in it, like it lives by good principles, if it's happy, people want the good principles. That's actually true. Okay. It's true. Although she's saying you're robbing the child of something because you need to be saying when you're good, when you are good, you are happy. And that's the part that they miss. So then they go out in the world and they're like, I just have to have the house like mom and dad. I have to have the, the cars like mom and dad. I have to have all the nice stuff like mom and dad. And then I will be happy. And everyone mm-hmm. will know I am a good person because happy is people say, oh, well, they're a, they're a good person because they're happy, right? That yeah. doesn't make someone a good person. And so then they think I will be happy but they're not happy. And the reason why is because actually mom and dad were good before they did all these, like they got all these extra They things. focused on the principles and the morals instead of, yeah. you know, all the money to make, you know, lots of things happen. They're like, well, if we focus on what's, what's good and what's right and what's true, then happiness will come. And that's really what matters most. Yeah. So we got to remember that when we're correcting our children, because truly, when we're correcting our children, we, we've got to bring it back to the goodness, okay? Mm-hmm. So if our child is not happy when we correct them, let's not worry about that, okay? That's okay. Let's not worry. It, it can happen, okay? They might not be ready for it. It, it also could mean our correction needs a little help, okay? It's so true. sometimes even if your correction is done so with so much heart and love, and and consistency and principle even so a, a child's heart can go oh i feel bad well and, and that's say, sometimes just like the purity inside of them yeah you know going, oh no i did something bad yeah and that's where we want to stay honestly if you can keep it in that zone then you can do a whole lot more good for that child mm-hmm. anyway so then you say i know you feel bad and you know what that happens to us when we do things that we know we shouldn't have done, then we do feel bad. And that lets us know that we did the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. But now we're going to practice doing it the right way. We're going to do it good. And when we do it good, then we can be happy about it. We can say we're happy, right? So we don't have to, we don't have to beat a person up if you teach them the good. Good versus bad, right versus wrong, true versus false. You teach them all of those morals. And, and within the teaching, you also keep everything safe and focused on principle instead of anger and emotion and everything else. And your consequences are also based on principle, you know, so that they get the opportunity for a little character development and they get the opportunity to go through just a little bit of something so that they know the cause and effect you know, and then they can fix really, truly correcting the child is not about the consequences, but no matter what you do after a child has done something, those are the consequences. And you got to remember that. Because consequences are different than punishments. 
Yeah, because basically any action that happens is a consequence. Any, mm-hmm. even if it's a non-action. Planned or unplanned. Exactly. Yep. So you've got to remember that as you're putting that together for your children. Paige, we don't want the children to be zombies. <laughs> we do not want the children. We want them to, to be hollowed out. Hollowed out. They're barren, not jack-o'-lanterns. Barren and put to death. Okay, we do not want this. In fact, this is something the children are are having to deal with because the parents don't realize they're doing it. We Mm -hmm. need to be careful. We need to exercise our power properly so that we can help our children truly come to happiness through the consequences of their actions, through that cause and effect of everyday's interactions. Oh, Paige, there is so much more we could talk about. Oh my goodness. I think we just scratched the surface. Scratch, tiny, tiny scrape. I hope that was a deep little scrape, but it was good. (laughs) It was a deep little scrape, but it was not deep enough. We could go on for we could go on for hours, maybe even days, about this topic. (laughs) In fact, if you want to join me ever for a day's long training, so I do these three-day trainings, and they are called parenting mastery trainings. If you're hearing this when it first comes out, yeah, I've got one coming up um October 7th through the 9th. You can join me for that's 2021. 2021. Yeah, that's when this came out. <laughs> but you know what? They come up all the time. So go ahead and look on the teachingselfgovernment.com website. You can find more information there. You can find courses, all kinds of things. But I'll tell you what, those live trainings, that's where we really don't do go oh, deep it's for days. So and it's, it's so fun. It's so fantastic. Anyway, thank you for joining us on the Teaching Self-Government Podcast. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast. For more information and resources to help unite your family, visit teachingselfgovernment.com.